and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, uh, episode 10. It's the first time I've actually remembered what episode we're recording. And um, I'm really excited to welcome filmmaker, director, writer, and editor, Tony Leach to the studio. That's a long list. Tony <laughs> Tony Leach to the uh, to the podcast. Oh, thanks. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm really happy you're here. Well, and it's funny. Um, I have a pretty strong yoga contingency in my life, just mm-hmm. because I've done you know a lot of yoga. Right. But um, it's I don't want the show to just be about yoga because <laughs> I also know a lot of musicians and artists and DJs and and I think Instagram is ruining the creative spark in our culture mm-hmm. and, and, um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before I let, I mean, obviously you can, you can interrupt me whenever you want, but, um, I want to give people sort of a little background as to why you're here and, and how I know you and, and you're a mutual friend. Uh, we have a mutual friend, yeah. um, Jen, who's a photographer, right. um, works in advertising, mm-hmm. um, uh, like does the um i guess like the billboards the posters for a lot of the big movies yeah, that come out exactly the, yeah. theatrical advertising and i met you probably about i feel like it was like 15 years ago yeah it was quite a while ago it was a while ago yeah. and so uh, because of the time um you guys were dating mm-hmm. and i actually remember you shooting photos at one of my gigs at anastasia in santa monica oh, right do you remember yeah, that i do remember that yeah yeah so um, obviously, a lot has happened in 15 years, mm-hmm. um, but I, you're, you've been on my mailing list, my email list yeah. from like back in the day when I was making records and, and I, um, about eight, nine weeks ago, I felt inspired to send a newsletter out to my, my group yeah. that, that are on. And it, it's been five years since I've sent one because it's been that long since I've done a record, mm-hmm. but I felt like there, there's just some cool stuff happening in my world creatively. And I thought like I should reach out and let people know what's going on. Yeah. And so between the book that I'm writing, I'm, I'm sort of writing some new music again. And I started the podcast. I felt like, um, it was worth sending, a um a newsletter out Mm -hmm. and you were on that list (laughs) thank god it didn't go to your spam (laughs) and i haven't i really haven't spoken to you i put it there afterward (laughs) this is definitely (laughs) i should delete this right away um no but so i want to start off the interview tonight by reading part of the response that you wrote to me okay um because i i haven't seen you or spoken to you for a long time yeah years yeah it's been years um and a lot has obviously happened to you creatively, and we'll get into that. But I, so I sent out this newsletter sort of announcing to people that I'm, you know, doing my podcast, writing a book, and how I think Instagram is like ruining the world. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing is, is there's actually been a couple articles that came out this past week in the New York Times, which we'll talk about. But anyway, so Tony responded to uh, my newsletter, and this is, I won't read the whole email, but this is what he wrote or said. Um, I listened to the first four episodes of the podcast last night, and I'm just beginning listening to your interview with Diana. I have to say it's been really refreshing to hear your take on social media. I haven't bought into the Instagram craze, or rather, I did for a moment, and I found that I began posting not to share things that inspired me, but rather to perpetuate the account itself. It just feels like we're all broadcasting and no one is listening. And if we do listen, we often listen in hopes that the people to whom we are listening will return the favor. That said, I very much enjoyed listening to the podcast, just listening. 
So, and here now here you are. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> and now I'm talking. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. So, um, what about the the newsletter slash our culture, my take mm-hmm. on Instagram? I mean, what obviously something inspired or resonated with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that uh, for me, uh, I, I think I'm probably on the fringe in terms of the way that I feel about social media. Um, it's and this is just a, a personality thing, I think, more than anything. It's always felt a bit more like a chore and a weight than it was something that really inspired me to be better creatively right. or to be better as a person or to yeah get better at math. I don't know, you right. know whatever. Um, but I um, so when I was, you know, and I especially living in Los Angeles and, you know, I work in the film industry so yeah i'm a hypocrite right we're gonna have visits from the cats tonight (laughs) tony's i want to say everybody's been nervous to come on my show but um everybody had like tequila or like smoked cigarettes or something beforehand (laughs) and tony's refrained from that so i'm gonna have the door open so the cats can come in yeah um i love cats yeah yeah so but what i mean do you feel I mean, I make these bold claims that I think Instagram is ruining the world. Mm. What and, and did you ever feel like um, you should be using? What is your issue with Instagram, or what do you feel like you should be using it? Because I think I follow you, and I don't. I, I'm. Not, I know. I know. I follow you, yeah. but you never post. Anything. I never post. Anything. Why not? Yeah. Um, I honestly, it's because I don't think that it. I think that there is a feeling and a perception that it's important and you know there are you know some very practical things like if you're an actor and they're choosing between two actors they may go with somebody who has the larger instagram no they will yes yeah definitely i don't i don't think that that's necessarily the case for me being a content creator right um, I think what's more important is that my work is good and that, you know, I'm continuing to hone my craft and continuing to become a better writer, a better director, better editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're a photographer also, right? Yeah. I mean, Do you ever feel the urge to use Instagram as a photographer? Um, you know what? I don't. Not not really. I did at first because I thought it was really cool at first. I thought, oh, this is a really cool way of connecting with people, just seeing like how people view the world. Yeah. You know, so you're seeing the world through so many different lenses, right? But I think that, you know, over time, you know, that became kind of homogenized and it became like a tool for self-promotion and yeah. then it became less interesting to me. And, you know, there are still people doing really interesting things on Instagram. My brother puts his art up on Instagram. Um, So, you know, I know that it can be used for that. I just shy away from it because it feels honestly to me like a waste of time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, and and you can look at people that are, um, you know, we all have aspirations in our career as far as like, you know, there are certain people that you look to and you're like, oh man, I would love to, you would love to model that kind of career or something sure. like that. And you realize that, yeah, they they may not be active on Instagram. And I'm not just talking about like Spielberg and Scorsese and, you know, people like that. Just younger people as well. Yeah. You know, people that are like, I don't know, does Elizabeth Olsen have an Instagram account? 
you know, like, she's one of the Olsen twins, right? She's uh, she's their <laughs> younger That's uh, right. sister. Okay, yeah, yeah. Who is actually a really fine actress? Yes, yeah, she um, is. Yeah, or actor. Yeah, Sorry. no, um, it's okay. I think seamstress. It's, yeah, right. Actor, seamster. Yeah, seamster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I feel, so do you think, um, well, you just, you, you just finished a film, uh, variant, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a little bit, but do you feel as though you're going, did you use Instagram while you were on set and, 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 and like did behind the scenes shots or, or maybe you should have, or what, what were you? Th- yeah, I didn't, um, that much. I did a little bit in post-production, but I really limited, you know, limited it to, uh, when I like finished a reel of the film and then I would post it. And then that was kind of a way for me to let the people that were working on the film that had worked on the film that were there on the, on the crew and the cast that progress was being made uh, for that. And so that for me was really the more important thing. You know, I guess it is a little bit hypocritical of me to like say, Hey, um, I don't need Instagram because there are a lot of people that were involved with the production that are active on Instagram. Right. And so in a way I'm leaning on them to take care of the and social. To, so take, take care of this. Cause you're yeah. hoping that they'll post about it. Yeah. And you know, I, I think the thing is, is like, I don't want to spend the time to curate and to grow a following on Instagram. Right. I just don't have any interest in that because you know, one of the things you were talking about in the previous podcast was about the dopamine rush you know, yes. um, that you get from the likes and sure. things like that. And I think that um, for me, I just don't respond to it in the same way. It feels really empty to me. Right. So I wind up, yeah, just, just I deleted, away. you know, I deleted Instagram, Facebook, you know, and I know several of your guests have talked about this, but all of the yeah. social media apps, Twitter, I deleted them all off of my phone and haven't had them on there for about a year. So, well, since you are a filmmaker, I I read it, what's interesting to me is that the New York Times. It's almost like the New York Times is, is listening to my podcast <laughs> because they've put out a couple interesting interview or articles the last yeah. um, week. They may be. Um, <laughs> maybe they are. So this one um, this came out on three days ago. It's called. I won't read too much of it but it's called The Internet Will Be the Death of Us. Nora Ephron once wrote a brilliant... And Nora Ephron is a pretty famous filmmaker, right? Yeah. She, didn't she do When Harry Met Sally? Or? Yeah, she uh, she wrote When Harry Met Sally. She wrote When Harry Met Sally. Uh, but I think she directed Sleepless in Seattle. Like, she was a writer-director right. when that first started as yes. a writer. Yes, yeah. yes. So Nora Ephron once wrote a brilliant essay about the traje- trajectory of her and many other people's infatuations with email from the thrill of discovering this speedy new way of keeping in touch to the hell of not being able to turn it off. I've come to feel that way about the whole of the internet. What a glittering dream of expanded knowledge and enhanced connection it was at the start. What a nightmare of manipulated biases and metastasized hate it has turned into. I mean, that's, that's, that's to me, really good, that yeah. sums it up. Mm-hmm. And I think, 
I just, I, I don't think we know how to handle all of this information. And I say it almost every episode yeah. and people are going to keep on using Instagram. They're going to keep promoting their shit. They're going to keep posting stories about like food they eat, but nobody fucking cares ultimately. Right. And it's a big waste of time. Yeah. And as a filmmaker, the best filmmakers to me are the ones that are not staring at Instagram all the time. Mm-hmm. They're like to be a really good filmmaker or a, a writer, you have to spend countless hours on your craft right and to me instagram and the internet is just getting in the way of that so when like when you work on your uh, you wrote this latest film variant Mm -hmm. and now it hasn't hit theaters yet but that's those are the hopes right but what what do you i mean do you like turn off your phone for hours? Like, how do you get how do you get inspired to to write and come come up with ideas? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um I'm very much uh i will put my phone in you know i'll turn off the ringer i'll put it in another room because i don't want it you know i don't want to hear it vibrating or doing anything so and in fact i just um (laughs) i just ordered a uh a thing um called the free write uh, which is a distraction free um writing tool it's like an old uh, style keyboard, you know, okay. so there's a lot of travel in the keys, like, yeah. and it has an e-ink screen, and there's no internet, there's nothing right. else that um, will interrupt you when you're uh, writing. So, I'm hoping that that will uh, be a tool that I really enjoy using. But, but do you have? Do you feel like you're easily distracted by it because you really don't use it? I mean, is it a problem for you anyway? Or? Um, no, I think that part part of what. Uh, after spending, um, a couple of years in my house, <laughs> working Wait, on you, this project, uh, and, like uh, closing the doors and just yeah. being obsessed over it. Um, I, I think that, you know, having a tool that provides a distraction free thing, you know, I could take my, I could take my laptop and, you know, do the same thing with it. And maybe that will be what I wound up doing. That's how I usually write. Sure. Like, um, I used to write at coffee shops and, you know, different places. I'm, uh, you know, turned 50 this year, so I, yeah. I'm not as uh, I'm not as well equipped to block out all of the noise and stuff like that as I used to be. Right. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> um, but do you think um, my my assessment about like Instagram and, and what's going on, do you, do you agree with what's happening? Um, I think it's I think it's kind of a, you know, I was thinking about that because of um, what you had said about Donald Trump and uh-huh. you know, in a previous podcast, you had mentioned that you weren't surprised that no. Donald Trump got elected. And I think that Donald Trump, in the same way that Donald Trump is a symptom of our society, I think Instagram is also a symptom of our society. I don't think that it is the reason that things are being ruined, but I think that our underlying fascination with celebrity and our underlying desire to be like somehow the American dream became being famous. Yes. Well, that's what I guess that's what it's done. Like all, all along we had national Enquirer, Mm -hmm. We had us magazine, right? We had television, but really it was just famous people that, that were on these platforms. Yeah, people. People magazine. But now <laughs> but now it's like everybody has the opportunity yeah. to feel famous. Right. And you're and I some I read somewhere the last week where we have literally become the me generation. It's mm. all about me. It's right. all about getting as much attention as possible. Right. It's about <clears throat> 
standing out, get as many likes, be Insta famous, whatever the hell that means, yeah, yeah. which is ridiculous. Right. Um, but I, I feel like you somehow have managed to um, not be too affected by it. Or I don't know, maybe you should start to experiment with obsessing over it for a month <laughs> no, but, and just like posting yeah. like lots of a, a very, like the film is called variants. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Cause as you're about to try and release it, maybe it's worth experimenting just to see if you get some traction. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. I, I think you're that... thinking I'm insane by <laughs> suggesting that. No, no, I, I get it. You know, I think the thing is, is that honestly, uh, when I hear about that, it just makes me tired. Like yeah. I just, I just, instant, I just instantly get tired thinking I, you know what, if I, and I know it's probably somewhat naive and somewhat old school on my part, but I, there's just a part of me that's like, look, if it's good, word of mouth is still like for what I do is still yeah. probably the best tool because, because everybody is advertising on Instagram and Twitter and everybody's promoting themselves like promoting my film that I just did, there's no reason why it stands out from the rest of it, right? Right. Um, unless you're putting like a, you know, a video clip that, you know, or like a partial trailer or something that, you know, would fit in that form. Well, that's, like that a would, teaser trailer. That would be worth yeah. doing, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think I'd be down to do that. Yeah, um, I think it's worth, con- I'm not, here I am bashing Instagram, and now I'm actually suggesting that you maybe use it. <laughs> he became Instagram's well, biggest advocate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's messed up is that I talk a lot of shit about it and yeah. I make fun of it all the time. But that's where people are looking at all day. Mm-hmm. So I do think people would be somewhat naive not to um, use that platform. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, you know, I think that partly why I don't feel as um, well, you know, again, I, I had a so I edited another film for a friend of mine, David Berkman. It's on Netflix now. It's called Haze. And okay. it's about uh, fraternity hazing. And it's really it's a very like it's not rated, but it's it would be like a really hard R. OK. H A Z E. H A Z. OK. And, um, you know, they created a social media campaign for that. Like um, and. Uh, Jamie Ehrenberg, the producer, at one point said, you know what? The only people that are liking these, we're not reaching anybody new. It's just everybody that worked mm. on the project, everybody else that was already familiar with the project right. or friends of ours. We're not actually creating a, um, a a new following here. Yeah. And so for me, I I think the thing is, is that we... We like to be busy. Yes. We, we like to feel like we're making progress. And I think that maybe that's part of the allure of Instagram. It's like, well, if I continue to build followers, yes. I'm going it to feels. then, it's going to affect and, um, you know, and supercharge these other aspects of my career or yes. my life. Well, yeah. some, that's such a great point. Don't let me forget it. Because I, progress, that was the word you said. Mm. I, this is the thing. I agree with you in the sense that Instagram hasn't created this mess. Right. Because this mess was started a long time ago. Mm -hmm. You know, our culture became obsessed with, you know, um, police chases and Mm -hmm. and anything Mm -hmm. loud. We, you know, Sam Kinison, I never thought was a particularly, and Andrew Dice Clay. Right. right. I never thought they were particularly very funny. Right. But they sweared a lot. They were over the top. Um, I just, I didn't think they were very good. Mm -hmm. Um, but they even 
they cap they caught on to that idea very early um, about being loud. Being loud, yeah. Um, but somehow, so it's not a new idea, right? And it continued with Facebook and Twitter and 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 all these. Uh, but I think Instagram has somehow made it worse because they have some. It's somehow encapsulated the idea of just imagery. The followers, mm-hmm. the progress, as you just said, yeah. it's it's manipulate it's manipulation factor, and because it's our friends, and then the filters, and then as I had the plastic surgeon right, on, right. makes everybody looks good. Everybody looks good, and mm-hmm. people are only posting happy stuff, and and then I, it's so weird. But and then you care about how many likes you have, and and right. then and then it's also exhausting. Right. It's it and, and it's it's sort of it brainwashes you and manipulates you and it it's it's sort of this hypnotic drug mm. and it sounds very sort of over the top of how i'm describing it but before you know it you're spending like 45 minutes doing nothing with your life right and if you add those 45 minutes up and spread it out over 7 days or a month and you're a creator like you are um yes the last thing you should be doing is getting wrapped up in that My only suggestion is for you, or somebody like me who, I mean, I certainly use it to promote my sense of humor, my yoga classes, my DJ gigs, and when my book is done and my podcast, but I like post my stuff and get the hell off of there. Yeah. Because I don't want to get wrapped up in the rabbit hole of bullshit. Right. My only advice would be for somebody like you, uh, and I I don't think I'm in any qualified position to be giving advice about how to use Instagram, (laughs) but... I like what you're saying about this, the idea of trying to get new followers, like with that film Haze and your mm-hmm. new movie variant, which I promise we'll talk about next. You know, can maybe speak to somebody in marketing or somebody who does does have that energy to waste on Instagram, right? Right. And then maybe come up with a plan of attack where you're posting and getting the hell off, or you're just not even doing it. Somebody else is doing it because you have better things to be doing with your time. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, I'm definitely uh, open to using it as a tool. Um, I don't personally want to be the one posting. Sure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I get it. Um, I mean, I will. And, you know, if I, if I need to, I will. I just so far haven't really, no one's really convinced me that, you know, I, one of the one of the women who was an actor and variant, <clears throat> excuse me. She uh, was at an audition. What, can we say her name? Yeah, Ashlyn Yenny. Okay. Um, One more time. Ashlyn Yenny. Yenny. Okay. Yeah. So she's the lead in variant. Okay. Sure. Um, and then uh, Dino Antonio is the secondary lead or the the bad guy the, or the, the villain. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, she was. She went to an audition, and hopefully, I'm recounting this correctly. But she went to an audition. She'll and, yell. She'll yell at you yeah. if you want. That's, <laughs> That's fine. right. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So she went to an audition, and there were, uh, you know, it's usually the same type of, you know. Uh, person that's in the room in terms of physically, like right. they're looking for a type, right? Right. So she said, um, all of these uh, people were. Oh, sorry. The cat's getting uh, uh, excommunicated here or expelled. We'll I, have, yeah. <laughs> I have to kick the cat out because Tony's telling a story and it's getting distracting with the cat. So anyway, the, the audition. Um, 
So she, yeah, she's at this audition and uh, several of the other women were like, do you know who that is? And they were pointing to a girl across the room and they're like, she has like 17, you know, million followers or something on, right? you know, it was a YouTube or it probably wasn't YouTube because that would have been huge. Um, but it, it probably wasn't 17 million just for the sake of, yeah, but maybe million. it was even a hundred thousand, yeah, but, but she, it was obviously she, a lot. Yeah. She's, she's Insta famous. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, and then. Uh, Ashlyn said, but she's here for the same shitty commercial that I'm auditioning for. Right. So like that made me that made me think. And I think that's what Ashlyn was pointing out, even though I mean, Ashlyn is very active on Instagram. Uh, I think it's what um, that just registered with me. And I'm like, yeah, so how much difference does it really make? Yeah. How much difference, how much practical difference? Like I totally get if you have a product and you're selling it. Right. Um, I've actually bought things off of Instagram yeah, me too. ads, right? Sure. And, you know, they market it specifically toward you. I'm fine with them, like, knowing my tastes and, like, well, you saying, better. hey, here are, here's a set of, like, uh, kitchen knives <laughs> that are really well made. <laughs> and we know you're going to like these. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for me, like, I think that there's this shared delusion that it does make a difference. And in some ways, as we discussed, um, people can use it that way. Like people can say it does make a difference. I'm going to make a choice between this actor and that actor because of that. But I think it's definitely a shared misconception that we have. And I think you're right. I think that it it does, you know, when I was saying that it's a symptom, I think that it does, you're right, it does enable that behavior in a way that wasn't, I mean, it's so simple. Yes. And it enables it in a way that wasn't previously available. Um, because if you were even a YouTube content creator, you had to record it, you had to edit it, you had, there were several, you know, aspects that had to go into it in terms of the camera and the sound and, right. you know, getting that all put up. And now it's just like, I can snap it with my phone and show everybody uh, what a great body I have. Yes. I mean, that I not have. You, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm not on Instagram because I don't want to make anybody envious. But I um, think, but you sent me some photos of you like behind the scenes uh, making your film. Mm-hmm. And I think those photos sort of legitimize you. Mm. That's all. I think okay. seeing a shot of you behind the camera, right. um, making the film, um, or being on set or talking to an actor, mm-hmm. it, it just it, it legitimizes you and humanizes you, and mm. I think it's something to um, consider. And I, I again, I'm I think what I'm promoting here is to not look at Instagram, mm-hmm. but use it to make you look like a legitimate filmmaker. I mean, I know you are, but give people who may not know you that vision that this guy. Um, actually knows what he's doing. Right. Um, well, you know, I think that that sort of brings up a philosophical question for me, honestly. <laughs> okay. okay. And I'm like, well, why Why do I want other people to waste their time with this? Like, I can promote myself on right. it and not look at anything, but what I'm doing is I'm feeding into the time wasted by other people and I'm giving them a uh, an avenue to do so. Well, that's what you said yeah. in your email uh-huh. to me. Like, you felt as though your 
and, and we're all perpetuating this as my my podcast says i mean mm-hmm. to me the downward facing spiritual spiral yeah to me is the spiral spiraling out of control of our the downward spiral of our culture yeah and by posting on it um you're actually although you're promoting your film ultimately you're perpetuating this cycle of our culture going down the tubes yeah and why do you want to be a part of that yeah i think that that's a that's a big thing. And, you know, and I, I am aware that, like, you know, one of the things I wrote in the email was about we're all broadcasting, but nobody's listening. And, right. I, and I understand, like, there is, again, like, a, there's a dichotomy there being a filmmaker. Um, I like telling stories. Like, I, I really love telling stories. And there was a blog that I read a while back, and I, I wish I could remember uh, who it was that wrote this. But they basically had a really good a really good take on it. And they said, you know, we, there's this entitlement that we all have yes. that people should listen to us, that people should be, um, you know, that they should be enamored with our work or with our photos or with our, you know, Facebook posts or, um, and he said, you know, they, they don't have to be, they, no. they shouldn't be, you have to earn it. He said, because, yes. you know, with, all of the distractions that are available nowadays, um, the, uh, sorry, I'm like, my mouth is getting it's really a, dry. Well, you've got water right there. Okay. Um, I'll just finish this thought. Yeah. Um, so with all the distractions that are available for us, our attention is actually a commodity in totally. today's world. Yes. So you don't expect that people should be listening or, or, or wanting to check out your stuff. Earn it. Give them a reason to come over and look at your the material that you're creating, like the book that you're writing. Right. right? Well, the problem is, is that that actually takes work to come up with something that people want to pay attention to. So what people are doing instead, right. they're showing their boobs or their ass or they're being like really loud and obnoxious. Yeah. And like, you know, I brought up Cardi B in my first podcast. Right. You know, some people think I'm wrong. I don't think overall she's very talented. Mm-hmm. I don't think she has a good voice. I don't think, you know, um, I, I'm just not enamored by her like our culture is. Right. But I think a lot of it is is the marketing platform that was behind her. Mm-hmm. She's really um, obscene in, in her posts right. um, on Instagram and, and crude and, and, and profane. And um, I just feel like that type of person mm-hmm. is becoming the star of the show. Yeah, you know, it really is. Uh, and it's easier to do. It's easier to do that than actually spend a long time getting like putting something together that's really good. The yeah. problem is, is the soft-spoken ones, the introverts, mm-hmm. who may have something that's amazing. They're not being seen anymore because the loudmouths are the ones that are getting that attention that is um, so hard to come by. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's really that's really interesting. Just in terms of you know nature or <laughs> nurture kind of thing. It's like, well, have we become a louder society because these avenues are open to us? And we it's sort of like talking in a restaurant or a bar, and it's like. People are talking so loud. And you realize that the reason for that, even if there isn't like this, you know, massive beat playing behind them. Right. 
the reason for that is, is that they're talking over the person next to them who's talking over the person next to them who's talking over the person. And so that's kind of the way that it feels to me with social media now. And that's that's probably why we get people that are yelling and just uh, doing obscene things or, you know, Flannery O'Connor, um, the author, had said during her day, like, you know, she was being criticized for how violent some of her stories were. And she said, well, you you can't, you know, you can't get people's attention with a whisper. You have to use a megaphone. Like, yeah. And so there was a but the difference is um, she's actually a really, you know, she was actually a very skilled writer because she worked at her craft all the time. And so it was actually the craft itself that contained uh, the things that uh, were, were alarming, I guess, rather than the style. Well, I'm thinking about Quentin Tarantino. I, I don't think his films as recently have been as good. I felt like he's been relying more on the shock value. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. I, I'll just talk about Reservoir Dogs. That movie blew me away. Yeah. And it's still... Did you like that movie? I did, yeah. I mean, it's still obviously violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way... You know, it's it's mirroring our culture. You know, it's shock value. Mm-hmm. But underneath the shock, there was, to me, real art going on. Yeah. And I yeah. felt like just the perspective, the way it was told, it, it just felt like a real film. We have to talk about your movie. The film is called Variant. Mm-hmm. And I saw Variant uh, a few weeks ago. But I've also what, what I want to talk about, though, I also saw two of your short films last week. Remind me their names again. Squared. Squared. Uh, and Gene. And Gene. Yeah. And Variant is, I guess, it, there's a lot of depth about the theme. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I want to simplify it slightly just for the listener. It's about feeling safe, to me, and and there's a guy who is obsessed with um, a woman mm-hmm. that I guess he wants to be with. Right. Um, and I and this to me parallels your other films, the short films, where they take place in an apartment. And I get the sense that you write and film and talk about the idea of being safe. Mm. And, and connection mm-hmm. and home because I yeah. felt all of those themes as I watched all of these films am mm-hmm. I am I touching on something or am I not making am I not making any no, sense no I think this I think it's really interesting I think that I just don't necessarily um, I think that they're probably I think you're right you know to point those things out it's not something that consciously I would set out to do but when you're sitting down and writing, as you know, with the book, like there are just even if you've outlined it very carefully, you know, there are there are things that happen and it goes in directions and characters say things and, you know, that um, are probably more of a reflection of those undercurrents within your being, within your psyche. Um, so that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have picked out that thing, but when you say it, it immediately resonates with me because that is a big thing for me. And in fact, like if there's one area in which um, I would be like envious 
of others. Um, it has to do with home. Hmm. It has to do with a home. Like when I lived in Vancouver and I was working on a project up there, I had bought a home and then I sold that. And then since then, like moving back to LA, just things just haven't, you know, by, you know, uh, funding a feature and doing all, all of these other different things, it just hasn't worked out for me to uh, purchase another home. But for right. some reason, that's something that's like, and I'm not even saying it's a healthy thing. I'm just yeah. saying that it's in my psyche for some reason as an important sort of linchpin yeah. you know, to my life. Sure. So, um, well, I, some, yeah. I want to somehow backtrack and then make our way to variants, your okay. latest film. Okay. Uh, if that's possible. <laughs> I don't I don't think we can get there from here. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean we're gonna I mean we're gonna like do a, a flashback and a fast forward uh, I like this yeah, non linear like, storytelling. It's like, yeah, it's, really well, good. it's yeah. like Quentin Tarantino uh, yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. So after I met you, I feel like the next thing that happened in your life that was pretty big, you wrote and directed um, Hoodwinked. I co-wrote and co-directed okay, and sorry. edited that as well. So that was that became yeah. sort of the big deal for you as a filmmaker. Yeah. And yeah. what were you doing? Hoodwinked was, um, correct me, was it It was bought by the Weinstein Company? Uh, it was distributed by Distributed the company, by them. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but what were you doing before Hood? Like Hoodwinked was sort of the, the breakthrough, I guess you could say, as yeah. a filmmaker writer for you? Yeah. What were you doing creatively up until that point? Wow. I was just... Uh, doing whatever I could to pay the bills to stay in LA, you know, basically. Um, and, you know, writing spec scripts. And um, actually, when I got the call from the guys to join them on Hoodwinked, I was working at the Natural History Museum. Um, I had I had, had a freelance clients that I was writing for for a long time. Um, and wound up giving up those clients because it, they happen to be like faith-based clients and m- my beliefs changed. And okay. I was like, I don't, I don't believe the same things that I used to. So I had to. What do you to, mean faith-based? I, I um, get the feeling you're not talking about religion. Yeah, I oh, am talking about okay. religion. Yeah. So I was a Christian, uh, you know, that's the new Hollywood term, I think. Okay. A faith-based film. <clears throat> um, Got it. Um, but yeah, you know, and not to, you know, I mean, I guess we could talk about politics and no, religion. We won't. And <laughs> People will stop listening. <laughs> but anyway, um, the, the whole point was, yeah, yeah, it's not, not really important why I ended up there. I just, I needed a job. I got a okay, job. Got um, it. So should I reframe all of that? So maybe. No, I, I still get it. But you, but, but so hoodwinked wasn't your idea. No, it was so, uh, Todd and Corey Edwards and Preston Stutzman who were and you know buddies of mine that I had worked with okay. for a long time. But why did they um, need you involved? Uh, they wanted me to come on and edit the film. Okay, yeah, so you were pick- or edit the story reel uh, for the film because it's an animated film. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I wound up uh, editing it and kind of working with them on rewrites, and then I also. Uh, you know, stayed some time in the Philippines working with the animation studio over there. And I feel like I remember them, Jen so, telling yeah. me about that. Yeah. Okay. So. And so obviously the Weinsteins must have, so you, you um, funded the film all yourselves or it was done. Uh, you no, just, it was, uh, that was, um, well, Maurice Canbar, 
uh, who oh, right. um, was the investor that okay. uh, funded Hoodwinked. Yeah. The film was done. You obviously needed distribution. Yeah. How did you guys meet the Weinstein Company? How did that happen? Um, our uh, producer, Subi Montgomery, or one of our producers, uh, she is really our lead producer on the project. She, um, she was just very tenacious about... Uh, getting in touch with people and setting up screenings, and uh, so we. And this took, was in LA. Yeah, actually, when I think I think when the Weinstein Company when they saw it was at the uh, film market in Cannes. Sure. So, oh wow. Yeah, so so that's a big deal. So you guys yeah. actually screened at Cannes. Yeah, yeah, in the film market, not in the uh, not in the film festival. What's the difference? Uh, the film market is basically like AFM that's going on here okay. now, which is yeah. the American film market. So it's. Just a place to showcase films for buyers uh, for different territories. But the fact that she actually brought the film over there, like she was really proactive. Yeah, she was very proactive. And, you know, honestly. What was her name again? Sue B. Montgomery. And what did, like, was she, what was her Uh, role on the film? She was, uh, she was a producer. So that would be considered a producer. Yeah. Okay. So she was like really the lead producer. And then there was David Lovegren and Preston Stussman, who were also producers uh, on the film. But, you know, they worked together as a producer producing team and then there was Todd Edwards, Corey Edwards, myself. Why do I know Todd Edwards? Um, Am I thinking about somebody else? I feel like I know that name. I don't know. You okay. may. Has he done yeah. other like important or big stuff? Or? Um, he, you know, he hasn't uh He's he's made another he made a couple of other films. Well, one was uh, one that he wrote and directed that I assisted and directed in 98. We went to Sundance in 99. It was called okay. Chilla Coffee. It's C-H-I-L-L. Yeah. C-O-T-H-E. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm but, thinking, I'm not sure yeah. if it's just the name. Okay, so how did the, the Weinsteins saw it at the at Cannes? Yeah. But, but did they actually personally see it or like one of their assistants you know, or something? I'm not, or, or I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it, I, I'm guessing that it was probably, um, you know, somebody in the company that saw it and then recommended it. I was going to tell a joke about you and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> like, yeah, you were down a hall. But I'm like, yeah, no, that's yeah. not, that's totally inappropriate. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You know, I've got a six months of humor. <laughs> we that's could all right. Really... <laughs> I did have a lot of meetings with uh, Harvey and Bob. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, um, was this at a hotel or was this? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were uh, off. Well, a couple of them were at a hotel, but uh, I blacked out. I don't know what happened. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Oh my God! So, um, so obviously they saw it at Cannes, or somebody did, and that's or at the Cannes film market, and that's where like the deal happened, or yeah, that's where they were. uh, You know, they expressed interest, and they had just started the Weinstein Company. They had come from uh, Miramax, from Miramax, yeah, they were ousted from Miramax. Why were they ousted from Miramax? uh, Just. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what all of the details are. It's just, uh, you know, what's a, like the PR story? Uh, you know, Disney, uh, who I owns think the, Miramax? Yeah, who owns They had bought Miramax and they were funding the slate. And I think they just weren't happy with the way that um, Bob and Harvey were um, handling or behaving. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. But. And that's the weird thing to talk about it, you know, now, because like, you know, I have my own experience with them, which was negative. Um, okay, we'll, we'll talk it, about that later. Yeah, but, but it but wasn't, uh, you know, we'll get it wasn't, that. Yeah, you know, they were known to be bullies, but they weren't, uh, you know, Harvey, not, none of that stuff had come out, and I wasn't on the inner circle enough to be privy to any Well, how was it, so. uh, you were obviously not sexually assaulted by the <laughs> no, Weinstein, no. but how were you, like, why was it negative for you? Um, well, it had to do with the uh, 
project that I sold to the Weinsteins after Hoodwinked. Um, Hoodwinked so, too? Yeah. So we did, well, we did uh, Hoodwinked and then we, uh, Todd and Corey and I wrote Hoodwinked too. Okay. So let me pass that off. Uh, we're going to do a, another quick back. We'll get to the, the Harvey Weinstein story in a okay. sec, but we'll get up the, I don't know how this would be described as a filmmaker, but we're, we'll get there soon. Sure. So after Hood- we did a little foreshadowing, for, there we go. We did for foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It was a little uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> so Hoodwinked actually did pretty well in, in the, in the market yeah, it, it did. can i say how yeah. much it made yeah um it made 110 million worldwide that's a huge deal yeah and it was you know made for a very small budget so um and you know it may have been made for a smaller budget than what's advertised <laughs> um but i didn't you didn't hear that here and that was actually a cat right that was so, a yeah, cat a cat so it made 110 million mm-hmm. when obviously when your movie makes that kind of money yeah. um people will come to you and want to know what else you're working on yeah yeah definitely and so um now did you um do pretty well because of that movie no um we, <laughs> well that sucks <laughs> I'm sorry. So the movie made yeah. a shitload of money. Yeah. You didn't really get to see much of it. No, no. Can I ask why? Um, yeah, honestly, it, uh, we were working in good faith on it. And it was very naive on our part um, to be working without a contract in place. Um, so, wait. you What part of it? Because the film was already done. Yes. So what, what contract could, should you have signed? Or Well, we... Well, actually, it was... It was, it was toward uh the film being finished like it it wasn't completely finished yet but we were on the last you know sort of the last lap um am i being too loud here oh no if i'm touching thing don't don't pretend i'm not touching these the mixer (laughs) keep talking okay but but, um okay so wait you i don't want to lose their train of thought okay so uh the film was almost finished. We didn't right. have a contract in place. And then we um, signed a deal that basically said, look, if it goes over budget by this amount, uh, you know, for every $100,000 that it goes over budget, we will deduct um, points from our back end. On it. Okay. So we were like, fine. We're, we're, we're still talking about hoodwinks. Yeah, we're still talking about hoodwinks. Okay. So we were like, okay, well, we will, um, yeah, we'll... We'll do that because Whatever. we're gonna we're gonna be bringing this home like really quickly. So what wound up wound up happening is that the investor also put up money for P and A, which is Princeton Advertising, mm-hmm. um, and he ran that through the film budget. So it okay. diluted our shares. And he, you know, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars, like for Princeton advertising. For Princeton advertising, at least. Um, it was at least four times the budget of the film itself. Wow. So what wound up happening is our shares. Did uh, you know got, this was going on? Well, we know we weren't aware, but you know, again, it just makes us sound like idiots, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Right. You're not yeah, though. Yeah. But wait, who was doing this? So it was actually a lawyer, um, that, uh, the investor, uh, well, well, that we introduced to the investor, which just makes it all that oh much my worse. God, this yeah. is yeah. crazy. Yeah. So that so was they, uh, like you didn't know that they were spending so much money on the print and advertising. Well, and we, from our understanding, we were doing this based on the budget of the production budget of the film, not the not the advertising budget of the film. Right. So that was a really sneaky thing that they did uh, to... Uh, yeah, to they were... They, so you didn't know that was happening? No. 
So they took it from the budget of the film, not from the budget of the marketing of the film. Yeah. And they, okay. I'm, basically, I don't mean basically to what they did is they, they added the marketing budget to the production budget. Of and the that's film. obviously a no, no. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not honest, but there was a, you know, the language was loose enough in the contract that I think we wound up signing something that was designed to do that. And um, this was so. the contract that you signed with, the Weinsteins? No, it was uh, with uh, the investor. Okay. Uh, yeah. Got it. So. so that's why when the movie made so much money, it had to recoup all of that first. Yes, definitely. Because that fell under the production budget. Yeah. And, you know, at the time that it came out, it was also, you know, home video was still... A big deal. A big deal. Yeah. Right. And so there were a lot of other, you know, revenue streams in terms of, uh, you know video on demand was just kind of like coming into into its own um you know it was really before like netflix became a big like streaming service but you know there was also dvds and blu-rays and everything else you know so there was a there were you know so it made 110 million in the box office right um but then there were other revenue streams so it did really well especially given the uh, initial could you have ever could you have ever sued that person um i just don't think that that was something that was um i don't know yeah i i suppose so i, th- I think technically they, yeah. they fell under they did what under the contract they fell under those parameters yeah it was basically it's like our bad right wow because you know when you put your trust out there and you just expect people to be good yeah yeah you're, you're so the moral of the story is stop doing that never trust anyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, even though though the you didn't make a shitload of money from Hoodwinks, yeah. obviously by having a film that made 110 million domestically, mm-hmm. put you in a position where people were interested in what you were working on next. Yeah. yeah so definitely. did you guys already have Hoodwinks? No. So did did you had you already started writing Hoodwink too? Uh, they wanted to do a sequel to Hoodwinks, so we we said you know well given the way that we were treated on this film, we don't want to direct the film because that's a big investment on a an animated feature it takes years yes you know so you know it takes three to five years or you know to see a film through to its completion so you sold the script to the weinsteins so we sold the script to uh maurice canbar who had um and, and who was the investor for hoodwink yeah and okay. then uh he and the weinsteins i think um funded the uh the sequel but you know, tonally, I you know, I think it's just there were a lot of things that we worked out in the story reel, which is just, you know, the sketches that are kind of set to temporary voice acting. And we really re- took a lot of time to refine Hoodwinked. Right. Um, whereas I think that. Um, yeah, you were probably much more hands off with Hoodwink too, because yeah. you, you wrote it. And were you like a producer on Hoodwink no, too? Okay, no. so you really weren't creatively yeah. involved after the script, right? Right. So we didn't really have the same kind of input, you know. From right. That. Um, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I had the idea for Escape from uh, Escape from Planet Earth, uh, which was about a group of aliens from around the universe attempting a prison break from Area Fifty One, and Corey really? and I wrote that together. Really quick before that. Mm-hmm. So after Hoodwink 2, you sell the script. Mm-hmm. Were you like, did you move to San Francisco at this point or you were still in L.A.? I was still in L.A. Yeah, but, you, in LA. but did you, so the Weinsteins were still probably curious about other stuff that you had. Yeah. So that brings us up to now the next film. 
and say, and this was just script you wrote called Escape from Planet Earth. Escape yeah. from Planet Earth. Yeah. And so you had you had the the script already done at this point? No. Um. What happened was, uh, I had while we were working on Hoodwinked, um, I was uh, at our at the uh, animation studio in the Philippines, and I just had this idea. I was like, what if a group of aliens attempted a prison break from Area Fifty One like that? It just immediately resonated with me. Just you randomly like a, thought of that idea. Yeah, I don't know why. I might have been looking at something on uh, the internet. I yeah. don't know what it was. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, yeah, on Instagram. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I was uh, ama- you know, imagining this tool that right. people could use for self-promotion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I immediately just thought, oh, I think this is a really good idea so i started working on a treatment and then eventually uh cory edwards uh and i uh wrote the script and it got it was actually at the hoodwink premiere in new york where hoodwink one hoodwink one where harvey pulled me aside he said i hear you have another animated film idea how Um, do you think he heard uh you know probably because i had talked with um I don't remember. Exactly. Interesting. You know, I could, I could, I thought you were going to say he pulled me inside and grabbed my ass or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. that's interesting that he knew that you had another idea. Yeah. I, I I'm must, sorry about I the must... Harvey Weinstein jokes, by the way. No, but it's no, just, it's you know just what? awesome. I, yeah. I, you know, my, uh, you know, the one thing I would say is like, I, you know, obviously we're not making light of the fact that no, he not was at all. awful and criminal to, or it appears to have been criminal to women. Yes. I'm glad you're saying that. I'm very sarcastic. I have a strong sense of humor. I'm not making light of that at all. But I just do find it um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, he's not interested in men. Right. (laughs) Harvey. But I I don't mean to be making light of it. But it's just, you know, um, it's also nice to just sort of add a little levity to the interview that I'm yeah, having with you no, as no, well. no, no, no. Like, I'm, you know, I, I just wanted to clarify that yes. because I'm just like, hey, well, just because we're saying this and we're making fun of it in context of my experience right. with him doesn't yes. mean that we're discounting all of these. But you didn't have a very good experience with him either. No. Okay. <laughs> so he is an asshole. So let's be very clear. I'm joking right. about the sexual advances that he obviously didn't have with Tony, yeah. but he is a jit or he is a prick. Yeah. So let's let's yeah. throw that out there also. <laughs> he deserves everything that's happening to him. Yeah. He's a prick, and he was also probably a prick to you, but in different ways. Yeah, I think never to my face. Like he okay. was never. He was always. Um, yeah, he was always welcoming to me, but then he was also allowing his staff to do things like not pay me my director's fee while I, you know, for fourteen months while I was working on Escape from Planet Earth, and you know, different. Uh, different i don't know just not holding up the contract that we had signed together and that's really what um even though it became this sort of like almost sort of hysterical like <laughs> histrionic case about um you know the Weinstein company and you know the lawsuit that um I had filed against them later right um it really just came down to a um it really just came down to a contract dispute. It's like, hey, we dis- we agreed on this and you're not doing that. So I think, uh, yeah, I was really uncomfortable, honestly, with the tone of the uh, of the complaint. And I really, looking back, 
I still think that I probably would have just said, no, let's just take all of that language out and just make it very matter of fact, as opposed to these personal attacks that are layered into it. So. So Harvey heard that you had another film, yes, or that you wrote, or that you were working on another project, Escape from Planet Earth. I keep forgetting the name. I'm sorry, Escape from Planet <laughs> it's Earth. It's where you live, right? <laughs> no, I live on Instagram. Oh, right, I actually, Planet I'm Instagram. Actually, yes, right. Escape from Instagram. That's a, that's your next project. Yeah, it's about a get it's me. about a mental prison break. Um. Get me off of this planet, please. Yeah. So Harvey comes over at the party or at, a, or at the screening, and he he um, he hears that you have got something going on. Yeah. So did he um, uh, buy the idea from you, or or like how did that work? Yeah. So basically, um, he's like, "Well, tell me what's going on." So I just gave him the little log line. I said, "Well, it's about a group of aliens from around the universe who attempt a prison break from Area Fifty One." And he's like, "I love it. Let's do it." So right there, right there. So what does that mean? Like, well, like he calls you the next day, or he's like, "Well, go with uh, go." He writes uh, you a check. Yeah, go with Michael. You guys go to dinner and tell him more about it. And so Michael was the head of production. Wow, that must have been really um, freaking cool. That was really cool. <laughs> and then I proceeded to give a slower than real time pitch for the film. Like it would have actually taken less time to watch the film than it would have oh, been to hear your pitch. To hear my pitch. So, I was a little little rough around the edges. But what did you but wait, why it. didn't you whatever you said to Harvey, mm-hmm. why didn't you say the same thing to Mike? Well, Michael Michael um, knew Michael. that, yeah. And he um he basically, I don't know, maybe he goes by Mike. I'm <laughs> well, sure. I'm calling him Mike. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Tony. Mike's not going to be listening to no, this. No, I, I don't think he will be. Yeah. I'm a casual yeah. guy. I'm sure if I met Michael, he'd be comfortable yeah. with me calling him Mike. Yeah, he probably So would. you go to dinner with Mike to talk about this film. <laughs> right. So um, Mike is listening very patiently. <laughs> and uh, he, um, yeah, he basically, you know, I think the thing is like, you know, that's part of it is like people will ask questions when, you know, sometimes when you're pitching. And so obviously it elongates the process. But it was also the kind of thing where we were just enjoying the evening and it didn't seem to be much of a rush for it. But but he said, yeah, but, you know, I really like this. I think, you know, let's we'll get back to you about this. So from that point, it took about. Man, it might have been even close to a year to actually get an offer. Wow. From the Weinsteins, yeah. What the hell takes a year? Yeah. So I, I think they were just dragging their feet on it and or maybe, you know, securing finance finances and stuff. Like again, so after they left Disney, they were suddenly the ones who were on the hook for the loans from Goldman Sachs and Oh, interesting. Those, yeah. Okay. So so there was a lot of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things going on for them. But um, yeah, so it took, a, it took a while. And then at that point, um, uh, my manager at the time, Brian Interfeld, said, OK, we're just going to take this out to everybody in town. And he set up meetings 
With all so the while studios. they're like jerking around, yeah. taking forever yeah. to give you uh, to sign the deal and give you yeah. money to uh, make the film, right? Your manager, which makes sense, is yeah. proactive. Is like, you know, we're going to go everywhere else. Yeah. So this probably like got the Weinstein's pissed off or something, and or they got them motivated to like make the well, deal. Well, what or? happened? Yeah, what happened was something that was not. I just did not anticipate it at all. But there was like a little mini bidding war on the project. Wow. So there were four studios. You know, one of those being the Weinstein Company that wanted to make the film and so suddenly we were like had these um you know choices to make and then you know some of them were like you know big uh <laughs> you know yes. big in animation and everything and so um you know there's just a point where uh obviously we made the best decision uh, given what happened afterward <laughs> right he's being facetious because he actually ended up getting into a lawsuit with the Weinsteins. Yeah, yeah. but 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 that was smart of your manager to like take the bull yeah. by the horn and and you know fuck the weinsteins yeah, we're gonna really we're gonna we're move. gonna move on with this thing yeah but ultimately the weinsteins ended up being the winners yeah they wound up uh, offering <clears throat> the best uh the best deal i guess or meeting the terms uh, that we uh, that I actually wasn't asking for. It was my manager who was kind of like swinging for the fences. On right. That. And um, they wound up. Um, yeah. So yes to those things. There's a method to why I'm asking you these questions. And remember before this backtracking, I ultimately, the goal was to get to your current project. Yes. And the themes that I felt about the film. Right. But before we get there, you did end up getting involved, so I'm. You had a. You already had a pretty difficult experience with Hoodwinked. Obviously, the movie makes a shitload of money, yeah. and you really don't see any of it. Yeah, a very very small. Uh, and fraction then of it. Hoodwinked Two comes along. You. Um, uh, have, we just got paid to write the script, right? Yeah. Which and how many were you were working on it? A uh, three of us. Yeah. And so obviously, you had some bad experiences with the Weinstein's. Right. And so, which leads us to, you had the worst experience of all, where with Escape from New York, which, and I'm sorry, not Escape from Planet Earth, you yes. were actually um, going to direct the film. Yes. And yeah. you ended up getting into a lawsuit with the Weinsteins uh, over this film. Yeah. So um, was that your decision to, to sue them or, or did your man, like, how did that go? And what were you suing over? Yeah, I think that, um, so I worked on the film total, like from the time that I started writing it, it was five years of my life. And, you know, so I think that, that, you know, for me, when it didn't pan out, that was actually one of the biggest things like the one of the biggest regrets that I had was I was like I feel like you don't get that many five-year chunks of your life and I just spent it you know in this turmoil and dealing with this uh over here so well how much of those five years were you actually involved in creating the film and um, how much were those three three years like three three and a half years and did you ever actually start to like were you in the process of directing it like it was it was in production yeah. yeah it was in production like i moved to vancouver british columbia um you know i gave up you know everything here well gave it up i Got rid of everything. Here I think I remember LA. you moving yeah. up there. Yeah. yeah I, I, again, I remember Jen telling me about yeah. this. Yeah. So that's what you went up to work on Escape from Planet Earth. Yeah. But then somewhere along the lines, uh, it turned into a lawsuit. Yeah. Well, basically what happened was um, they, you know, what I, what I didn't realize is like, I, I, I honestly think, you know, and who knows like what everything was from their perspective. Um, 
I see your eye glancing toward the meters when I'm like, I, I no, I was just one. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's fine. You're, you're, don't worry about it. You're not clipping or anything. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, um, it's basically the kind of thing, like, I think the deal was too good. I think that it was a, a deal for me because I had like a gross back end deal. So rather okay. than net, I got first dollar gross out of the box office and all okay. that. And so there were like a lot of things that were, um, I think, you know, favorable for me, but I think they were too favorable in some ways, like in, in the way that like the Weinsteins were never going to be happy with this deal. Right. But why are you worrying about the Weinsteins happiness? Well, I think that's what led them to ultimately send a letter from their lawyer to me saying that I was off the project. So it wasn't that I just like left. Oh, the interesting. Yeah. So the deal that was made in the terms financially, yeah. they ultimately, even though after they were signed, they, yeah. they, oh, yeah. they didn't like them anymore. They didn't like them anymore. I think it was probably their plan from the beginning to renegotiate all of that after getting the film. Right. And it honestly, it made more sense financially for them to do this, like, because what's the chance that I'm going to actually uh, sue them or that I'm going to try to go after that, like that that huge conglomerate? Yeah. Um, So. So, yeah, I think in my mind, like because the the claims that they made on why I wasn't fit to direct this anymore just didn't i'd like i refuted i felt we went into mediation first and i just refuted all of that stuff i i I think pretty well like they were like you didn't take direction from us and so i brought in actually all 18 drafts of the script right and i put them down i said when did i not take direction from you was it during these 18 drafts wow where i was addressing your notes and they were like you you abdicated your position as a director and i said well was that when i was working on these 18 drafts because we were in production and we could not get them to lock the story down like we got greenlit on the first draft and then suddenly um about six months into doing like the story reel and stuff we start getting notes and that's one of the things that i think can be if you don't know how to navigate it if you don't know how to um, approach an animated film because it's like making a film in slow motion. There's just right. so much time to second guess what you're doing. And if you're not certain of that yourself, like I felt certain, but for whatever reason, the Weinsteins just kept uh, looking to change. Uh, so they ultimately the just weren't satisfied with where it was going. I think, <clears throat> I think they just, I think they, you know, got a lot of feedback from a lot of different people and everybody has their own opinions. Right. And, you know, in the end you have to like, focus it and that's what a director's job is is to say no 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 let's stay on track here um so in the end i i do think that it was a financial move on their part um i i can't really see any other reason like the the reasons that they gave just seem so fabricated to me you know um and at this point because you i guess they booted you off the project yeah. And yeah. that's why, and then that led you to, that led me to, to the lawsuit. Yeah. So, um, you know, Interfeld, uh, Brian Interfeld had, uh, said to me, like he started doing research on lawyers and, um, and there was no, I'm sorry, but there was nothing you can do when they kicked you off the project. No, no. I mean, that's the thing is like, because there, <laughs> because there's no, um, 
there's no criminal penalty for them, right? Right. There's, there's only sort of like civil court, like, hey, well, our bad. We said we were going to do this, and then we didn't. We wasted five years of your life, which should be like a criminal offense, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's nothing that I could really do at that point because they're the ones paying, you know, for the project at that point. But we did have a contract in place that said this project doesn't get made without me as the director. Right. And they were like, well, we're going to show how you, or we're going to invent how you, um, you violated the contract so that we, you were in breach of contract first. So now the contract is null and void. Wow. The approach that they took. So, so the film never, I mean, and you just have to trust me on that, I guess like maybe, no, yeah, (laughs) that's the other thing is like, it's not that I didn't make mistakes. Of course I did. Right. And you know, there, there were times where I was trying to be a hard ass and like James Cameron, you know, to, you know, in this, and it wasn't the right thing to do. And it definitely made, um, you know, mistakes, but nothing so egregious that, I, w- I would have been in breach of contract. Like right. I was working my ass off on this thing for years. Yeah. So. So the film never got made. It did get made. Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It did get made. You probably didn't see it. No. Though. Yeah. So. Obviously. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but you didn't make it. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I actually haven't seen the finished product. I had seen it. Well, I can understand why it probably would be really. Um, yeah. I. I mean, just at that point, you know, because even the thing with the lawsuit is what that's not why I got into filmmaking. I didn't get into filmmaking just for money. I got into filmmaking because I want to tell stories. And so for me, the only real, you know, satisfactory conclusion to all of that would have been me making my movie. Of course. Um, So, yeah. sort of another not a really happy ending kind of a story for you <laughs> i'm sorry to be in right yeah you're right so um, at this yeah. point you you so why you, would anybody want to do this or why would they want to do it if they're me yeah anyway. well i mean at this point you you moved to san francisco um and you were there for about six seven years no actually just for a year oh just for a yeah, year just for a year i I honestly, I just um, actually wound up writing a number of uh, spec scripts uh, with Mark Mullenkamp, uh, who was a, we had been longtime friends, and he was a, he's just a really excellent writer and very disciplined, and and so we wrote three comedies together, um, because that's what you want when you're writing comedy, is discipline. Right. Um, But I think it's really important, though, to be around the right type of people that yeah. is such a huge influence yeah. and in, and in, if you, in your success as an artist i think we all think that oh this person just was really talented and it was all them mm. or people that aren't in the business right. don't know about all the other pieces of the pie yeah <clears throat> oh i think it's really important yeah definitely and i think that's why i think as artists spending our time not on instagram is such a huge deal and it's about taking meetings and meeting people and having conversations and knowing how they, they work and, and what inspires them. And, yeah. and I guess this all leads me to ultimately you ended up, you, you said also in your email to me that, you know, you, you 
came here to make movies. Yeah. And so something obviously drew you back to Los Angeles yeah. after being in San Francisco. I mean, it yeah. seems to me like we don't have to get too bogged down with it, but it almost feels like you sort of needed a hiatus. I think so. Yeah. I think so that was sort of my sabbatical. Right. You know, for, you know I went uh, up to, um, up to San Francisco and worked with Zynga for a little while as a mobile games developer. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I was working on the uh, creative director side of things. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, while, while I was up there, I was like, you know, th- this just, the story is sort of secondary, at least in this version mm-hmm. of game making. And I just wanted to get back to where the story was primary. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So what, what inspired you to come back down to LA? Um, you know, I think that, uh, I believe it was the sense of home (laughs) and safety. Yeah, it probably was honestly, like I can joke about it, but I think that, you know, my brother lives here and all of my friends that I've made over, you know, I moved out in 96. Where are you from? Uh, originally from Michigan. Yeah. From Detroit. So, um, well, that leads me to, you know, present day. And, and so I watched two of your short films mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I saw Variant. And this goes back to what I said sort of towards the beginning of the interview. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea for Variant? And, you know, tell me what the movie is about. Sure. And, and where it stands now and what you're hoping will happen. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, I've, I've struggled with, um, with sort of a log line for the film, not because it can't be easily. This will be good practice to pitch it. So yeah. What's, what's the Um, pretend that we're not having dinner with Mike. Yeah. (laughs) Good old Mike. We're already good hour and 10 minutes into the podcast. So the check is here. Oh, okay. So Eddie, give me the, so so you don't, you don't want the, the the slower than real time version of this. Cause I've been doing a great job so far. (laughs) What's, um, so what's, what inspired you to write variants and what's it about? Yeah, so basically, um, you know, coming, you know, so when I was writing uh, the scripts with Mark Mullenkamp, like we actually had a lot of interest, like, but we didn't wind up selling anything. Like we had the senior VP of production at uh, Warner Brothers and at Universal, the same position at Universal, like bring us in um, and, you know, talk about the talk about the script and, you know, everything. And then when that didn't happen, worked with some friends on developing a television series that we wrote several episodes and decided to not uh, continue further with that. So what it was is just a big sense of disillusionment. I was just like, I don't even know that I want to do this anymore. Sure. Like I've been beat up and run through the ringer and why would I want to keep doing this? So when Variant came along, or not when Variant came along, but when I decided to make a an independent film, it was because I was like, you know what? I just need to prove to myself what I can do when there's no one uh, trying to take it in a different direction or trying to, you know, or stopping me from doing it because I'm going to finance this myself. I'm going to write it myself. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to edit it, you know, and all those skill sets I had been working on for years. So um, that was really the, the... idea for variant came after i had decided to make a film i just didn't right. know what that was yet so and so what in, in what is it what is it about um what's the story so i don't know i guess i can like i said it's super easy to give a one you know sentence log line for it if you give away there's a bit of a it sort of evolves and there's a bit of a twist in it yeah, yeah. um 
so I don't know if I should be, I, I don't think I want to give that away then, here. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Um, so the version that, <laughs> that uh, I haven't come up with a, like a great way of like talking about it, but I had read some papers like that where it's sort of like on philosophical ideas about our existence. Okay. And I decided to explore that a little bit in Variant, um, specifically one idea that was uh, proposed, um, uh, what reality might be. And, right. and so I just had this idea um, of, honestly, the sort of thing that came to my mind is like, what if God were a love-scorned teenager? Hmm. What if he behaved that way? And how scary, like what kind of... To me, like existentially, like there's a lot of dread in an idea like that, even though it's, um, you know, whether we pulled that off or not, you know, it's, right. it remains to be seen. So, Well, I, the, again, I said it earlier, the thing that I picked up on was because there's a lot of drama happening with people at home and, and relationships. And I guess he's kind of stalking somebody in the film mm-hmm. and in your short films, I also got the sense that people potentially are visiting somebody at at the at their home, yeah. knocking on the door, right. and, and and maybe they're not safe there. And I picked up on that underlying theme in all yeah. three of these movies. That's so interesting. I I love that. <laughs> no, but I, nobody's told you that. Nobody's before. told me that before. <laughs> but that's why you know. Honestly, Eddie, like when, when we ha- were having our email exchange, you're like, well, I'm trying to get better at, you know, interviewing people. And I said, I already think that you're like really solid at it. And that's not just to be, it's just to encourage you to like continue doing it because right. that kind of insight, I think you're a very thoughtful person and that kind of insight, like, it's like, oh, that does make sense to me. You're, I think you're right. Yeah. It's just not, it's not something because, you know, we all have that blind spot you know, that we're not able to see it, you know, for ourselves. We just sort of do what we do. Sure. And it sometimes takes somebody from another perspective outside of us to just say, did you notice these things, you know, these, well, this thread? Why do you think that thread is happening? Um, hmm. And I don't, this isn't meant to get all psychoanalytical, but um, I think it's just an important question to ask. Yeah. You know what? I don't, I think that anything that I would say right now would definitely just be off the cuff and I'd probably wind up having to think more about it and revise whatever I say right now. But I guess, you know, for me, there is, um, I think some of the things that are important to me are a sense of home. Yeah. I mean, there's something about that. There is a something that's very, when I think about that, it does feel very dear sure. to me. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in some ways I've been frustrated in my search for that. Yeah. So it comes out in my writing. Possibly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it makes um, sense coming from Michigan. I'm from Ohio. Mm. Oh, and, okay. And, I mean, I've lived out here for <clears throat> 20, 25 years. Yeah. But I think this living in Los Angeles, and again, this comes back to the idea of who I said surrounding yourself with. Yeah. We are sort of, our friends become our family. Yeah, definitely. And the community the community that we live in, you know, there's it's such a sprawling city, but 
you really, it's up to you to form your own community. Yeah. Not only personally, but also professionally. Right. Or else then you can end up in the situation that you were in where, you know, people are taking advantage of you. Weinsteins are acting like jerks to you. Right. So I think it might make sense why you don't respond to Instagram the way that Mm. so many people do, because it's kind of bullshit. It's not really making people truly connect and feel comfortable. Right. And I think, you know, you're older, I think coming from the Midwest, you're obviously sensitive and soft-spoken. And I think for all those reasons, home and finding that out here and that theme in your movies and, you know, and, and connect, obviously connection is important in, in your film. And, and and the villain is obviously desperate for connection. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't know. Those are the themes that I'm thinking about. Is and, and Instagram is so anti all of that. Yeah. I um it. I think the thing is, you know, for a sh- very short period of time, like everybody who moved to LA was a waiter, you know, for a little while, or a server. Um, sorry. Yeah, it's a server. Now. Server. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, a stewardess. Yeah. I know, right? Not anymore. Flight attendant? Okay. Um, but one of the things that was frustrating to me about that job, that it really wore me out, because I think I am an introvert. I mean, I don't think I am. I am an introvert. And one of the things that was exhausting for me about uh, being a server was that I had to have not, I had to have the same conversation over and over again. But also it was like, even if you did connect with somebody or, you know, there's a little bit of banter, it was always just so surface, you know, that, right. that it made me like that stuff makes me tired. I don't have a lot of energy to um, to just like I like I don't I'm not the, like the guy anymore. Like when I was younger, I would go to a party and I'd be yeah. like, you know, sort of like party extrovert. Um, and I just don't do that anymore. I'm just more like, okay, well, I'm more. But so, so you used to be that type of person. Yeah, actually, I was. <laughs> I was. Uh, I don't know why we had this at the college that I went to. It was basically a homecoming thing, and I was the homecoming king in okay. college. Okay. Yeah. Why? I don't know. But, but I was definitely more gregarious, more outgoing. But to me, I feel like I'm. I'm still gregarious in the way that I like connecting with people that mean something to me and that the interactions that we have mean something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've sort of proven my point in a way that, um, you know, unfortunately now we live in the world where the introverts are the ones that are just getting overlooked Mm -hmm. and it's the loud mouths that are, um, the ones that are being paying, uh, people are paying attention to. Right. And I, I'm, I want to close the show with two thoughts <clears throat> and get your opinion, obviously. To me, Netflix is the loud mouth going on right now. Mm. And I get into this argument with a, she's actually probably a little older than you are. Um, Impossible. <laughs> she loves everything on Netflix. I am become, I've started to hate everything on Netflix. Okay. And there's this show out right now called the ha- the haunted Hill house or something. Oh yeah. It's a, 
um, actually based on the book. Yes. And there's an episode, I'm six episodes in, I think I'm going to stop watching. The fourth episode is some of the most incredible television I have ever seen. Mm. The acting, the writing blows me away. Yeah. But then the fifth and sixth episode after it are just terrible. The story is bad. The acting, and I'm no acting expert at all, is so on the nose, is so terrible. There's no character developments. But the episodes end with these little twists where they know that people are binge watching. Right. And they know that as long as they have a little twist, because they got you maybe three episodes earlier, that is enough to get the person to keep watching. Yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. It's so, it's so obvious what they're doing to me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's about filling space because they're buying up everything. And it's about tricking the viewer because it's all manipulation. And I can see right through it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not that I'm some genius or something. I just think I'm really hyper aware of my reactions. Mm-hmm. And I can tell what's going on as I'm watching these shows. And I guess it didn't start out that way with House of Cards and even the first episode or first season of Narcos. Mm. I, it, it didn't start out that way. Mm-hmm. But that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And do you think I'm crazy? Or what do you think is, what's your verdict? Or do you, what do you think is going on yeah. with contemporary? Um, well, I think that in the pursuit of so much content, like there is, you know, we, used to be that like <laughs> television stations were on for a certain period of time in the day. Like this is before, well, maybe when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then it became like the 24 hour, you know, television station. Then it became like 324 hour television stations. And now right. you know, with streaming services, there's no end to the day necessarily. So, yeah, I think that there is, you know, people are reaching for, just content to fill all of that space. Um, And it's a shame when somebody doesn't take advantage of the real estate that they have, you know, like, because to me, when I think about a story, I'm just like, and that's why I wound up cutting like a good, you know, about half an hour out of variant. Right. Because it's like, well, um, I didn't feel like I had effectively used the real estate in certain ways. Like you have a limited amount of real estate to tell a story and when you're just trying to fill pages, it shows it, like every moment yes. should be something. And I'm not saying that we succeeded with that with variant. I'm just saying that that's the goal. But is that like is the, the goal. Yeah. Every word spoken, everything should move the story yeah. along. Yeah. And it should be important. There should be no filler, you know, in there. Um, so, yeah, I think that by default there, you know, um, those things yeah, you're going to get shows that have that. Um, I don't know. You know, I watched Mindhunter on uh, Netflix. Yes. I thought it was just an unusual... It was it was pretty gripping to me, even though it didn't really have the classic sort of like cliffhanger, you know, for... I mean, it just it just was this mostly dialogue, and I just found it kind of fascinating. And so, and I like you know David Fincher as a director. I'm yeah. Um, I just I thought the lead actor was was terrible. Oh really? And so I stopped watching. Oh interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't yeah. find him to be believable. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I actually liked him. And, you know, to going back to what you said, you're no acting expert. It's like everybody's an acting expert because yeah. we're all human beings and hmm. we, we understand what feels right or feels real to us. I think that I had the same kind of like feeling about that uh that portrayal that that actor was doing and then i just sort of stuck with it and i was like oh, i kind of I see what he's doing here it just it, it didn't resonate with me right at first though i felt like hmm. this is odd this is a little sort of like watching the tim and eric show you know <laughs> you're just like that's weird like i don't understand what i'm being shown here so Well, it looks like Nellie's uh, finally made her way back in the studio, so <laughs> we may hear a few meows yeah. towards the end of this interview. <clears throat> so I wanted to end the uh, interview by, it's again, it's so interesting, um, but the New York Times this past week put out an article. They, again, they're, they're obviously listening to my podcast. <laughs> it's called A Dark Consensus About Screens and Kids Begins to Emerge in Silicon Valley. <clears throat> I'm convinced the devil lives in our phones. The people who are closest to a thing are often the most wary of it. Technologists know how phones really work, and many have decided they don't want their own children anywhere near them. A wariness that has been slowly brewing is turning into a region-wide consensus. The benefits of screens as a learning tool are overblown, and the risks for addiction and stunting development seem high. The, de- the debate in Silicon Valley now is about how much exposure to phones is okay. So, I mean, I don't know why I start... I mean, obviously I have this book that I'm writing. And I'm, it's a satire about our culture. Mm-hmm. But I think deep down I... So I was reading online about... Uh, a lot of agents were saying that, um, you know, writers should um, have a strong online presence. Mm-hmm. And I, although I use Instagram, I, I find it to be pretty childish. Mm-hmm. And it's so transparent to me what's going on. And, and people are manipulating, much like Netflix, people are manipulating you every day, mm-hmm. much like advertisers. And But I thought, I'm going to do a podcast. That way I can talk about our culture, mm-hmm. although I'm making fun of it in my book, I can actually tell my view of it and how I think Instagram is screwing everything up. Right. So we'll close today, I guess, um, as I read that ex- excerpt from the New York Times, which just again came out this past week. Um, how are you going to manage now that variant's done and you mm-hmm. want to get it out there? Mm-hmm. And 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 I love that your how you said earlier. You don't want to perpetuate the problem. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're aware of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your solution for our culture? Or if not for our culture, what are you going to do? Hmm. Yeah, you know, because I guess uh, just disengaging isn't necessarily a solution. I mean, unless there was a mass disengagement from these kinds of things, right? Sure. Um, so... You know, for me, I think that um, for me, like any like before I start on any project, like I have to believe that it's going to benefit me in some way. And like whether that's like I get I'm getting better as a writer 
or I'm financially or, you know, something. And, um, so for me, like I'm the way that I'm going to approach it. Sorry. That seems like a really convoluted <laughs> way to get, which I'm really good at. Why, why no, am I but, a writer? But yeah. this is the thing. Um, we want to make money yeah. doing like, I, I'm writing this book. Yeah. Um, and I, I want I believe in it, yeah. but I certainly am going to use Instagram to promote it. Sure. I ultimately want to get an agent though. Yeah. I want people to buy it and yeah. I, I have like big ideas for it. Right. So, you know, Instagram isn't going anywhere. Facebook isn't going anywhere. The right. phones are no, nobody's monitoring. Nobody's yeah, Apple's like, not going to stop making no. phones. And yeah. the government isn't monitoring um, the internet. The internet's its own world. The Instagram yeah. is it. Instagram is like a, a war zone. And if you want to enter it, go for it. But I feel like people are finally starting to recognize how messed up it really is. Yeah. So back to the like the question: well, yeah. How are you going? I mean, I get the sense that you don't struggle with it too much, right? But I still think you're going to have to start using it with this film. Yeah, that's pro- that that may be true, and maybe it will be. You know, we just had the meeting with a you know small boutique distributor, um, and maybe that's something that they head up. You know, um, because um, you know, I think it is like anything else. You know, like you were talking about, like you know, the New York Times wrote a um, you know what the one the one that you read earlier right. was about how how the uh, you know, how the internet is like ruining. Yes. But the only way that you read that was on the internet. Right. So like there is that, um, well, I say this a lot. I mean, as long as you're actually consuming interesting information, then the internet is fine. Yeah. But unfortunately people are just primarily consuming bullshit like Instagram. And so maybe, maybe the answer is knowing that these things are not going to go away and that they are tools that can be used is to treat them like tools and that you, you know, I know I said that I didn't want to perpetuate the problem, but perhaps the answer is be accountable for yourself. Yes. And everyone else has to do the same. And if they decide to waste their time um, by being on Instagram, every free moment that they have, then that is their decision. And they, that's something that ultimately you're not, you're using it in a way that is beneficial and that is productive. And if somebody else is not, that is something that they need to account for themselves. It's something that they need to consider and reflect on themselves. So. I just, I'm thinking bigger picture though, like, I think because I have things that I'm passionate about and you do also, I'm able to control myself Mm -hmm. and I'm able to step back. And maybe because I even know people that are kind of like a shit show, but on Instagram, they portray this image of having everything together. Yeah. And that's constantly happening. They're fabulous. Yes. And like, we don't know what's real or what's not. But I do think uh, most people aren't, that aware Mm -hmm. most people just believe everything they see because that's sort of how our brains look our brains work it's just it's just consuming well it's the only way i got tricked into being on this podcast right (laughs) i saw your instagram feed and i was like wow that looks like the real deal it looks like this there's something interesting (laughs) going on and here you are sitting on it um yeah Yeah. so 
I just think, um, I mean, in closing, what, what, what do you ideally like two, three years from now, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you want to be doing? Uh, and let's say variant variant is, is reached theaters. Variant. I did like that pronunciation. That was good. It sounded French all of a yeah, sudden. Yeah, it really did. I was Very like, wow, good. that sounds way better than the film I made. It does. Yeah. I think you should change. You should say it's variant. Variant. Yeah. I like that. We I just, do too. Right? Yeah. You I think should go we with just, that. We just came up with like a, the big marketing push we've got for it. You could actually have some fun with that. Some Instagram videos about yeah. trying to figure out the pronunciation of the movie. It's like, you guys keep talking about variants, variant, variant, and all of a sudden yeah. some guy walks in uh, very on oh you mean very on yeah oh yeah that does sound interesting <laughs> right I'll, I'll watch that <laughs> um so what what do you want to be doing like a few years from now what's the goal um you know i i think that we're like you know and i'm a bit older than you are but like i think that something changed like after my parents generation where we're no longer like this we're no longer these people that are looking to retire. Like that was the goal, right? Like that was like, I'm going to go put in my time and then I'm going to retire and live life, you know? Yeah. And to me, I just never want to stop uh, making things. I I, I get so much, uh, so much enjoyment and fulfillment out of making things like, yes. And making, you know, and what I make and what I seem to be, at least somewhat skilled at is uh, making stories. So like I, but I, you know, it's like at this point in the process with a uh, variant, I'm just wanting to move on to the next thing. Sure. Now. Yeah. I well, you want that. somebody else to like handle all the marketing yeah, distribution so that you can get back to working on what you do best. Yeah. And right. I think that used to be how it was until yeah. social media. Right. Now it's become, you know, filmmaking. You, you have to do everything. Right. Right. So hopefully you won't have to. Right. Um, I hope not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really don't know what to do. It, and to me, like, I know this is going to, well, it's, it, it's a political example, but it's like, what do you do for gun control? Like, it's obviously we've proven as a culture we can't handle them. Right. But what do we do? And so in the same way, like, you know, Instagram, and I know that it might seem like I'm comparing something trivial with something um you know, that's very serious, but well, I say, well, finish your thought. Yeah. I mean, but it is serious. It and, is. And, I think yeah. Instagram is creating yeah. much more harm than we think. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, but back to your point, I don't think we can handle guns mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. And I don't think we can handle the we, technology. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's the thing It's like, so what is the answer? Because there's no turning back the clock. Like no. we're not going back to a time before social media. Like there's no like Luddite movement that's going to push everything back years and years and years you know, that, so that we're suddenly all in the 50s again, just right. dreaming about the technology. Right. right. So I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think that maybe, you know, to some degree that, you know, variant, the film deals with some of those ideas about technology and where it might, you know, where it could go um, that could be really harmful. I yeah. Guess. So um, just disguised in a different way. So do you have other projects that you're like, have started working on? Yeah. So, um, the, uh, I've been, uh, working on it and I've had the idea for a long time, but I've really been refining it uh, here lately. And that is, um, 
another animated film that um, oh i knew yeah. uh, why, why the fascination with animated film I, I you know what honestly it's accidental for me like it's um i sort of stumbled into it i mean i love i love it as a medium right and, right and a lot of times people refer to it as a genre and that's like one of those like little pet peeve things that i have i'm just sure like, it's not a genre it's a medium <laughs> like a genre is like comedy drama oh, right yeah. yeah i guess yes um, but because pixar was so successful there was an idea that the animated film was a genre and a pixar animated film it kind of is its own genre yeah right? yeah um but yeah i love the i just love how big you can dream hmm with uh with animation that you don't have to take into account like well that's an expensive uh i mean it's all expensive right (laughs) animation is all visual effect shots but you can dream like really really big and you know there's just to me you know a guy that grew up on raiders of the lost ark and star wars and you know these other films like i have never been able to direct a film with that kind of budget, you know, for it. Um, Escape from Planet Earth, you know, would have been the closest thing. So the films that I grew up on were like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star right. Wars and, you know, these big, grand But do you, know, you ever films. want? would you ever want to make a film like that? Or would, do you think you're just going to stay with animation? Um, you know, I think that what I'd like to do is uh, continue to work in animation as a writer. Okay. Um, and then, uh, direct just smaller projects, um, write and direct smaller projects. Uh, you know, whether those are always indie, I'm okay with that because that's where I, because I really enjoy writing for animation and I enjoy writing and directing smaller projects where I have, uh, yeah, honestly the creative control over it just because I've had too many experiences that were not, good (laughs) yeah no but it's i mean it i think it really sort of explains a lot as to why you're where why you're where you are in the filmmaking process and your attitude of just wanting to make movies and not worry too much about all the other uh, extracurricular bullshit because um you know you're a filmmaker you're a writer and and you don't want to be bogged down with all the other extracurricular shit that goes on in the industry unfortunately yeah and and that and one of my friends who was on here last week talked about i mean like a lot of people that aren't necessarily the most talented they're the ones that are getting all the attention Mm. so Mm -hmm. yeah it was like you were saying the being the loudest or being the uh most vulgar or being the you know just name name a superlative and you know somebody's doing that to try to uh, to try to separate themselves from the rest of the crowd. Yeah. And to me where I would like my superlative to be great work. Yeah. So I, I think that's, I think that's the goal. And I think that's why it's important to stay off of Instagram as much as possible, Mm -hmm. unless you have something that you really want people to buy or, or you're selling something. I don't think it's having a good effect on your brain as an artist. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've felt more inspired these last like eight, nine weeks having conversations with people because I think our friend Jen even told me, because she called me a couple weeks ago, and she said, the way that you really get to know somebody is by 
the way that you really get to know somebody is actually by having a conversation with them. Mm. And it just, it creates more of a deeper connection yeah. than obviously just like liking somebody's shit on Instagram. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been, uh, it's been really good for me, like hearing your podcast. Yeah. You know? So like, I've really enjoyed it. And to me, it does feel more substantial. Do you actually more. listen to podcasts? I mean, have, oh, you, I do. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm yeah. not in that world. I never really ever listened oh, to okay. them. Okay. Yeah. Like I've been, uh, yeah, I've been sort of an avid podcast listener. For Which ones while. do you listen to? Well, I started off listening to this American life. Sure. Um, I mean, that's the pretty popular one. Yeah. And then of course, you know, like serial and stuff, but I listen to a lot of stuff from Gimlet media, which is, okay. um, they have they have a number of really good podcasts. Crime Town, um, Science Versus, which I really love, which is uh, basically saying, okay, well, here's the prevailing idea about this subject. You okay, know, like uh, GMO. You know, you know, foods with you know they're genetically modified. Sure. Um, as if I had to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we live again? All right, um, but yeah. As if I had to explain that, but it's just, you know, and then to say, okay, well, this is what the prevailing wisdom is, but what does science actually right. say about this? And so it's called science versus, um, and then there's another one that's about the internet, basically just all kinds of interesting stories about that deal with the internet in some way. And it's called reply all. Um, okay. Yeah. Is it like a good thing about the internet or bad? Uh, it's kind of both. Okay. Yeah. Explore different, uh, different things okay yeah um show showing how it can be beneficial and also how sometimes it's really a negative experience that it leads to you know what so. are you doing while you're listening to the podcast i mean are you just like hanging out reading are you, i mean can you do something else while you're listening to a podcast yeah i can't uh i can't work like i can't edit or right. do anything like that so what i usually do and i need to get back to doing this because i sat in my chair a lot this summer but prior to that, I was uh, hiking every day. Okay, that so, would make sense. Yeah, so I just go on a hike and I listen to the podcast cool. at that time. So. Well, you cannot listen to my podcast anymore unless you're going on a hike. Oh, I like it. That's yeah. that's the new rule. Okay, and actually, yeah. you're going to listen back to this. Yeah, and you're going to hear me say that. And right. you're like, Fuck, I'm, I'm not hiking. If I I'm not g- hiking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Because my my headphones will blow up. Right. Yeah. And because these interviews are like about an hour and twenty to an hour yeah. thirty minutes, so that's like a good hour and a half hike. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of what <laughs> I do. Like uh, near me, there's the Baudry Fire Loop, and right. it's like. Two hours for the whole thing. There we go. Like a, so a good hour, hour fifteen minutes for just like a, you know, a shorter version of it. So so you'll come back in like a year. Yeah. After going on a hike every week yeah. for an hour and a half, and you're going to be like a new, yeah. new person. Yeah. I mean, you won't recognize me, and uh, hopefully, I won't recognize me. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Absolutely, I, I appreciate. I'm glad that you actually responded to my um, my newsletter, or else yeah. you wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't. Um, it's funny, but like, it's important to give people encouraging words of words of encouragement. Mm. Uh, of course, if it's shit, you know, you don't lie to them, and you're like, "Hey, that's really great." <laughs> no, but doing it. no, but the way that you wrote your email really resonated with me, and it made me think, like, ah, people might actually connect with what I'm talking about. Good. Um, Good. So it was really inspiring. Um, I remember showing Emmy what you wrote and it meant it just, it was, I was really excited by it. Oh, good. It made me feel like, um, cause I don't want this just to be about bashing Instagram. I want it to be conversations with artists uh, and yoga teachers and mm-hmm. people like really 
talking about what we can do to become more aware of of what's really important yeah and bringing more creativity to our lives yeah. so um well i think that <clears throat> i think that you're doing that and like you know because i've enjoyed listening to you know i l- listened to uh with emily you know Cohen, all right your, yeah my your, cousin your cousin yes and then also with sean gray mm-hmm. and it's just like obviously coming you know different subjects different things but it's been really refreshing for me um, cool. and it has been inspiring for me as well so that's great to hear yeah. so maybe it's actually working it's actually working <laughs> yeah at least i'm the weak-minded like myself <laughs> that's awesome that's great um, well, thanks again, Tony Leach, filmmaker, writer, director, um, writer for Hoodwinked, uh, co-writer, co-writer, co-director, also for Hoodwinked too, mm-hmm. which can be found on um, like iTunes or Netflix, mm-hmm. not at Blockbuster Video anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Variant hopefully will be uh, in theaters or yeah. on streaming services soon. Yeah. Or variant. Variant, yes. <laughs> in France. <laughs> and uh, you're also an editor. Yes. So if somebody yeah. wants to hire a kick-ass editor, <laughs> uh, he can be found, Tony Leach, on Instagram. That's L-E-E-C-H. That's correct. Not like yeah. the, the sucking thing, the leeches. Yeah, I mean, it's spelled in, the same way. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Really? I thought Leach was L-E-A-C-H, no, so it's actually two E's. It's okay. two E's, yeah. So Got it. Well, that's a good way for people to remember yeah, the spelling, though. That, hey, I want to work with that blood-sucking parasite. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anything to get people to remember <laughs> you in this Instagram-crazed world, that's you got to right. do what you got to do. That's right. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Um, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral, Tony Leach, Episode 10. Uh, it's been really awesome having you here, and especially in a crazy city where people have to like drive freaking everywhere to get somewhere. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Cool.